Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Uh, Have a Bible. I want to invite you to open with me just for a few moments if you have a Bible. I want you to go with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 21 is where we're going to begin in just a few moments. I want to welcome those that are streaming live. Thank you for being with us this morning, and we pray God speaks to you. Also want to say a big happy birthday to my beloved bride. She she turned 28 this week, 28 this week, so, and uh, that's right. She's 28 years old, and we celebrated her this week, but we are so grateful for you, Meredith, and love you greatly. I am honored, incredibly honored, to be honest, to be talking about mental health on Mental Health Awareness Day. This is Mental Health World Mental Health Awareness Day. It's really interesting the way we plan our sermon series. We do this over a year, sometimes a year and a half, and we hit this sermon series in the midst of a month that I promised to to you had no prior knowledge and understanding that we celebrate this as a globe. And it just seems very appropriate within the context of where we are in American life, Western culture, to talk about this issue of stress, anxiety, and mental health. I sincerely thank God that this message is impacting lives. And Pastor Chad kicking us off last week, so many people are already saying, you know, it has the capacity to transform the way we think. If we ask the question, what do we know about mental health and what do we know about winning the war so to speak in our mind we know that most of life's battles are won or they are lost in the mind we know it's almost impossible to live a positive life when you have a negative mind and that can be a problem with your mind when your mind races with negative thoughts and irrational worries like mine often does I wonder how many of you this morning can relate to irrational thoughts and runaway fears that through seasons of life have just consumed your mind. Yeah, I don't know what it would be for you, but maybe you worry about something, something that seems really, really normal. You're a student, for instance, and you're worried about making a bad grade. And then you're worried if you make a bad grade, then you're worried you won't get into the right college, and then you won't have the right job. And if you don't have the right job, you won't marry the right person. If you marry the wrong person, you're going to have the wrong kids. And because they're the wrong kids, they're going to need braces. And and braces are expensive, and you'll put braces on them, but then you can't afford to send them to college because you're still paying for your college. And so your kids won't have the education, and they'll resort to a life of crime, and they'll end up in prison, which gives you a headache. And speaking of a headache, you might have a brain tumor. You've noticed that a lot of people have been having brain tumors, and, and your mind races in the wrong ditches. Now, I'm exaggerating just a little bit, but not by a whole lot, right? We're maybe just joking about getting a bad grade, but you watch what's on the news, or you live through 2020, and you hear what happens to the life of someone you, lo- you love. You lose someone to COVID, and you're wondering, is it ever going to work? Is my mind ever going to get back straight? You've got more bills than you know how to pay. You're trying to make some decision about the kind of future that God has for you. And so easy for your mind to begin to race and to be overwhelmed with feelings of anxiety and fear. 
Eric Severid had a great quote I'd like to share it with you at the outset of this message. He said, the biggest business in America is not steel, next slide, automobiles, or television. It is the manufacture, refinement, and distribution of anxiety. It's the biggest business in America. The refinement, manufacture, and distribution of anxiety. It's what sells. It's what makes companies money. It's what makes the news go round. It's what makes social media be in real time and live. It's the distribution of anxiety. You know, I was thinking this week, you know, these are pretty crazy times we're living through, and I thought about what Jesus said in Luke chapter 21. And if you're there, we're going to read verse 25 through 28. And he talks about in verse 25 through 28, he says there are going to be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear, notice this, with foreboding of what is coming on the world. Now, I don't know about you, but I look at everything in the world today and it just seems very much different right now than it has in my entire lifetime. And what a unique time we're living in, and people are terrified of it. People are absolutely petrified. And Jesus even said during those times in Luke chapter 21, he said people will be fainting with fear. They're going to be passing out because of anxiety. They're going to be fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming onto the world. And he says, Jesus, our captain, he says, this is what will be happening in the world. You'll see people, and they're going to be terrified. They'll be petrified. They'll look at the world, and they'll look at the economy, and they'll look at all the signs and, signs and wonders that God's going to be doing, and, and they will be terrified. But then he says a couple of verses later, notice what he says to the believer. He said, at that time, watch this, at that time, the time we live, he says to believers, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. See, so he, he said everyone else is passing out. Everyone else is fainting with fear and terrified about all of the things that are coming. And that's the time when you and I, as a follower of Jesus, we are to just straighten up our backs and we are to look up because we know our redemption is drawing near. Now, I don't know about you, but I love that picture. I love that picture of us lifting up our heads and going, "What? you know what, you know, I, I'm not afraid of this. I'm not afraid of what's coming upon the world because I know what's coming in the end. I know how this story ends. It reminds me of a few years ago when... You had net when we Netflix first came out. You had to actually rent the DVD on your little queue online, and then they sent it to you in the mail. You remember, and you sent it back, and they sent you the next one. And you remember that TV show Twenty Four? Anybody remember old Jack Bauer? In Twenty Four, for those who are not familiar, it's a show about a guy named Jack Bauer, and it's about a twenty-four hour time period where he saves the world like four times in twenty-four hours. And we didn't, I don't think, even had cable at that time, but we started getting the DVDs. And Meredith and I started watching them, and I think we were in season uh, three. And we started watching the show, and, and to be honest with you, it's just terrible, right? The reason it's terrible is because every episode ends with this kind of cliffhanger moment of what's going to happen, you know? And, and you're thinking, I'm, I'm looking over my wife, we're sitting on the couch together, and I'm like, all right, babe, let's watch the next one, you know? And let's throw it in there again. And it can't end there. And then when Netflix has stream, um, you know, it makes it even worse. So, so we end up at home for like 24 hours, you know what I'm saying? And so you're watching the entire series. But I'm watching it this one time with Meredith. And there was this episode where these terrorists, they kidnapped the Secretary of Defense and the Secretary of Defense, uh, uh, his daughter. 
who happens to be Jack's girlfriend. And they kidnap the two, and they're at some unknown location, and they're broadcasting to all of America, look, we are about to execute your Secretary of Defense, and you don't even know where we are, and you can't stop us, and we're going to execute them on public television, and everyone's going to see it. But no one, of course, on the show knows where they are. The whole country is, of course, in panic. And then Jack finds them. Like, I knew he would, that a boy Jack. And he gets all these different clues, and he figures out their location, and he calls in for backup. And it really ages the show because you see he's got a, a phone, cell phone. that's like the very first one that ever came out. It's like three feet long. And he calls them on the cell phone. He calls, it's called CTU, counterterrorism unit. He calls CTU headquarters, and he says, I found their location. I need backup. And they say, Jack, we'll be there in five minutes and he says we don't have five minutes in five minutes they'll be dead right I'm going in alone and we're like no Jack they just showed us how many people are in the room Jack you don't go in without backup but Jack what does he do he just goes in and my heart starts pounding you know I'm looking over at Merrick to see if she's enthralled like I'm enthralled you know our palms are sweaty you know and the whole time I'm getting more and more stressed out and it's one of those scenes where you take on one you, you slay one five more come and he's taking taking out the next one and taking out the next one. And then all of a sudden, the thought occurs to me. This is season three. Everyone else is watching season four right now. And he's still there with his girlfriend. And everything's going to be a fine because he signed a contract, Jack did, Kiefer Sutherland, for three more seasons. He's going to be around. And I kept watching it, y'all, but suddenly my whole demeanor changed. I was like, go ahead, save them. I know what's going to happen. And it was still fun to watch. There were still ups and downs, but there's a different perspective when you know the next season is coming. And you know everything's going to be fine. That's the exact picture Jesus has given to his followers. He's saying, look, I know there's going to be ups and downs. I know the nations are going to quake. I realize and understand I'm going to do a shaking in the earth. But what makes it easy for us to know is we got a season four that's coming as the church of Jesus Christ. And we got a season 400 that's coming as the church of Jesus Christ. And we got a season called four million that is coming as the church of Jesus Christ. So when those things start to happen, Happened, Jesus said. Everyone else is passing out. Everyone else is in fear. Everyone else is in foreboding of what is to come. You just look up, church, because season four is coming. And somehow, I don't know how, but somehow through all of this, there's an ability to rejoice. I love what he says in Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, notice what the text says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. I sense the Spirit of God in my own body right now. He dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things, John the Beloved said, have passed away. 
I love that, y'all. I rem- he, he says, remember the end. Let's remember how this thing ends. We know that there's just not something, something is not right about life right now. There are those of us who know God, and we love God, and we love His Word, but we still know there's something missing right now. We don't see Him. He's not just right there in front of our faces. Isn't it crazy how we got to do everything in this side of eternity by faith? We've got to do so much by faith. And He says, yet there's going to come a day when it's going to be different. Faith is going to give way to sight. Listen, church, some of us will be looking at each other in the eyes 100 years from now. Think about this. Some of us in this room are going to be looking at each other in the eyes 100 years from now, and it's going to be completely different, though, because God will be in our midst. It could be 50 years from now, some of us are looking each other in the eye. It could be 25 years from now, some of us are looking in the eye. It could be six hours we're looking at each other in the eye, and yet something will be totally different. We'll be actually in fellowship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. Just kind of like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden when they walked with God. And everything's going to be fine there. Everything's going to be all right there. There's no more death there. We're reunited with our loved ones there. There's no more sickness there. And then this is what he says we have to look forward to. And it's because of that that we can rejoice right now. Amen. If you have a Bible, I want you to go to Philippians chapter 4 with me. Philippians chapter 4, the context is the Apostle Paul was writing from a Roman prison. He's in the midst of house arrest. He's awaiting potential execution from Nero, the emperor of Rome. And he said these powerful words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every. Everybody say every. Every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, the God of peace, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts. And what else? Let's say it out loud. It will guard your, come on, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things, Paul says in prison. Think about such things. Why I'm on house arrest awaiting my own execution. Think about such things, even though my head might be on a platter by tomorrow morning. Think about such things. And the peace of God, the God of peace, will be with you, he says. Title of today's message is Anxious for Nothing. Anxious for Nothing. Why don't you look at the person next to you and just say, peace be with you. Come on, just say it. Say, peace be with you. If you're streaming tonight or this morning, just say, peace be with you. Just type it. If that's too formal, look at somebody real quick and say, get you some peace. Come on, just say it like that. Just say, get you some peace. All right, get you some peace. So today, what I want to do is just I want to talk about worry. Let's talk about anxiety and let's talk about the mind. Are you ready? If you remember a key thought from a message I shared just a few weeks ago, And I shared the reality that your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. 
which is really good news if your thoughts are good and helpful and positive, but it's incredibly bad news if your thoughts are negative. And what do we do and what do we know about the mind? We've been talking many times in this congregation about both Scripture and science. We know that God is the God of science, and in our mind, we know, next slide, there is this little almond-shaped portion of the brain called the amygdala. This is called the amygdala. The amygdala is a very little interesting part of the brain wired for survival. It is a really small almond-shaped little almond, but it's a part of the brain that, again, processes fear and is wired for survival. So let me explain. If you ever find yourself in a moment where you feel like, I need to fight or I need to flight, I need to fight or I need to run, that's because your amygdala is operating your entire operating system. Your amygdala is engaged. Your amygdala is communicating to the rest of the neurosystem, the neurological system, to fight or flight. And anytime you're in danger, this God-given, and it is God-given, he made it, this God-given portion of the brain, the amygdala, it kicks in, and what it does is it sends your body strong doses of adrenaline. It kicks into your adrenal glands that we find there in the midsection, and the adrenaline starts pumping through the body. And it says, be on guard, be alert, run if you have to. If you see a poisonous snake, what do you do? If you're like me, any kind of snake, it doesn't have to be a poisonous snake, your amygdala is like, snake, be careful, run, run, shovel, shovel, cut my head off, cut my head off, right? If you're driving, and like what happened to me recently, a driver, yeah, evidently must have been texting while they were driving, and they weren't paying attention, and so as I saw them ahead of time, they started swerving over into my lane. Guess what kicked in? My amygdala kicked in, not my prefrontal cortex, not my hippocampus, not any other part of the brain. The amygdala kicked in, and it started telling me, be aware, be careful, be aware, be alert, you're in danger. If you have an alarm system in your home, and it goes off in the middle of the night, like ours did just about a year and a half ago, when we were living in our house between Canton and Cartersville. And to this day, I don't know why our door flung open in the middle of the night and set off our alarm, right? But I can feel even the adrenaline rush when I just recounted that memory. I just felt it. My amygdala kicked in the moment my prefrontal cortex brought the memory. My amygdala kicked in and it just shot adrenaline right through my body right when I said that. And what did I do? I jumped up and I grabbed my, my little pistol, right? And after grabbing my pistol, I'm like trying to aware, you know, make myself oriented. And my wife's like, listen, we've already been killed by now by the time you get fully awake, you know? And I go downstairs and I'm panicked, okay? I'm panicked. And God gave us that portion of our brain for our protection. The problem, the problem is that the amygdala is not objective. It is simply hardwired to protect, and it is very easily triggered. Okay? You know I'm a science nerd. I have tracked down a video this week of neurons that are firing and connecting in a person in the midst of panic and anxiety. This is mind-blowing to me. This is a microscopic image of the amygdala neurons, the anxiety-producing neurons that are doing everything they can to try to create synapses whereby you get flooded with anxiety, where you get flooded with fear, where you get flooded in that moment. Mind-blowing to know the science we have today. I'm going to give you an example of how the mind works. A few years ago, I was in a really challenging season of life, and because I was, I 
of course, pulled my wife into the same challenging season of life. And much of that season, a really long season or portion, was dominated by irrational fears and overwhelming anxiety. And it got really, really bad in one season because of just a concoction of wrong medications that I was on currently at that time. And I've shared some of that story with you. Most of you are pretty aware of that story. And I lived on Highway 20 between Canton and Cartersville. And it happened in the fall at its worst times. And I would drive as I was coming back from therapy or counseling or whatever it is I was doing that day. And I would drive down 20. And because you got those nice fall winds, I would look up and fall. Historically, it was my favorite season. But there would be times where I would see those trees they were swaying in the wind right past Sutali Baptist Church. And I knew I had to turn just past there to go into my house. And not really um, knowing it, but to this day, which is years now after, if I drive down Highway 20, in fact, I just did it two weeks ago coming back from Chattanooga every day, and I saw those treetops, there is something in me instantly when I see the sway of those trees that is triggered because the amygdala God gave me is hardwired to make my life keep happening. It is hardwired to protect me. That's why our amygdala needs a little bit of help from another thing God called and gave us called the prefrontal cortex. Next slide. This is a much bigger part of the brain. This is the part of the brain that tends to think logically. So if there's a noise at the house, the amygdala screams, you're going to die. And the prefrontal cortex steps in and says, no, it's probably the dog. You're not going to die. Your prefrontal cortex says there's probably a really logical explanation for this. So the amygdala is all panic. The prefrontal cortex is all logic. The problem with the amygdala is it always responds according to its pre-programming. Yes. Now let's talk about your childhood. It doesn't give you the choice of how it wants to respond. It responds the way it was pre-programmed. In other words, if you had experiences like mine, you will tend to believe swaying trees on Highway 20 are dangerous. And I don't know what it would be in your life, but because of some hurt or some fear or some trauma or even perhaps a misunderstanding of something that happened to you, my guess is that there are certain people in your life right now, certain places in your life right now, certain events in your life, or some type of news that triggers you with some feelings of anxiety and fear and tension. And without even knowing it, your mind can race and run to a worst-case scenario where you find yourself sometimes short of breath and panicking and wondering and trying to control things you can't control, completely overwhelmed by a runaway mind. That's why Paul said this from a Roman prison. He said, and I want to read it again, don't be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. That could be your big test. That could be your job interview. That could be your health situation. That could be a decision you have to make about the future. That could be a financial burden. He said, don't be anxious about anything. But in every single situation, in other words, church, if it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. Let me say it this way. If it's big enough to worry about... 
It's big enough to pray about. If it's big enough to, to give mental focus to, it's big enough to pray about. He cares about more than you and I could ever imagine. He said in every situation, by prayer and petition, watch this, with thanksgiving, what do you do? You present your request to God. And when you give your burdens to God, when you give your anxiety to God, when you give your cares to God, when you give your worries to God, the scripture says the peace of God which transforms sins all of our understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I want to say it again. Will guard your hearts and your what? Your minds. His peace will guard my mind. His peace, the peace of God will guard my mind. And it's so crazy to me that even and how often even Christians undervalue and discount the power of prayer. You see it all the time. People will be in a situation and they're talking and they're stressed and someone will say, oh my gosh, all we can do now is pray. You know, all we can do now is, oh my goodness, all we can do is pray. And I can almost imagine God going, and you think that's nothing? All you can do is pray? The God who can move mountains? The God who could raise the dead? The God who could heal the sick? The God who could open blinded eyes? And all you can do is pray to that God? No, prayer is powerful, church. And as followers of Jesus, we have to recognize that prayer is never our last line of defense. Prayer is always our first line of offense. It's not our last line of defense. It's our first line of offense. As the great Corey Ten Booms asked the question, is prayer your steering wheel or is prayer your spare tire? The author to the Hebrews said this, let us boldly come before the throne of grace. We come in prayer boldly and with confidence. Why? To find help in our time of need. James said this way, he said, you do not have why? Because you do not ask. Because you haven't prayed. You don't have because you hadn't prayed. You don't have it because you're not asked for it. Because you haven't prayed. He said prayer is always powerful. Church, hear me and hear me well. Whenever you begin to worry, that is an immediate invitation to pray. God has specifically come to you and he has laid before you an absolute handwritten letter of invitation to talk to him the moment you worry. The moment worry, fear, anxiety grips your soul, grips your amygdala, grips your heart and mind, you have an invitation to prayer. Now, here's what's amazing. Not only does prayer move the heart of God, but prayer also changes the chemistry of your brain. Changes the chemistry of your brain. I'm going to say it again. Not only does prayer touch and move the heart of God, but prayer changes the chemistry of your brain, which is fascinating to me because for decades, neurologists believed that your brain did not change after adolescence. Are you aware of this? For almost two centuries, neurologists believed that the brain was stuck after adolescence. I don't know about you, but I think, my God in heaven, my brain didn't freeze at 15 years of age. Heaven help me. I'd be one walking testosterone at all times, Right? I mean, 15 years of... No, no, no. Our brain continues to evolve. Watch this. And it continues to change and it continues to rewire itself. We've talked in here about the neural pathways. When you think a thought, it's easier to think that thought again. Once the synapses fire and the path has been made, it's easier to think that thought again. And our brains are continually changing. In fact, the term is called neuroplasticity. 
neuroplasticity. That means that your brain is constantly rewiring and evolving and constantly rewiring itself. Now, I love the study of something called neurotheology. You all know I, I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. That was what I desired to do before the Lord called me to ministry. And neurotheology is the study of the mind and of God. It's also known uh, scientifically as what we call neuroscience. What neurology and neurotheology does is fascinating because it studies the relationship between the brain and a belief in God. Can I tell you what our latest research shows? Research shows that prayer actually rewires and changes your brain. In fact, I would like to recommend a book for you. It's a book by an author named Dr. Caroline Leaf. Most many of you have heard of this book called Switch on Your Brain. Switch on Your Brain, powerful, powerful book. Does a 21-day detox, actually an app. It's like $1.99 on your, your iPhone or Android, and you can do there. You don't have to use the book, but it'll take you through a 21-day brain detox or anxiety detox. And what she says, I want to give a powerful quote from her about brain and prayer. Okay, watch this. She said, it's been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it is actually measured on a brain scan. If I have 12 minutes of structured, uninterrupted prayer for 56 days in a row, 56 days, Eight-week period, eight times seven, 56 days. It actually train, changes the brain so much. We're not just talking about, oh, yeah, we just kind of believe it. No, it actually shows up on a brain scan. So not only does prayer touch the heart of God, prayer changes the brain. Just as text, toxic and negative thoughts harm your brain, prayer heals your brain. Would you say that with me? Say, prayer heals my brain. That's the truth of the gospel. That's the truth. It's the truth of what we find. It's the truth of what God already told us in his words. Just science catches up, right? It literally renews your mind. So why do we worry? Why do we find ourselves so anxious? If we're followers of Jesus and we should completely trust in God, why is it that our minds so often race in an irrational way? Well, science would tell us that in many cases we're experiencing what they call an amygdala hijack. Our little amygdala, that little center almond, is wired to protect, says you're in trouble, you better take control, you better work harder, you better spend more time, you better stay awake at 2 in the morning and worry about this and keep worrying about this because if you don't, it's going to get worse. So science tells us that's called an amygdala hijack. Scripture would say it's not an amygdala hijack. The Scripture would say that you are thinking out of your flesh. That's how the Scripture would give it to us. Let's read it. In fact, what is the definition of worry? Can I give you and provide for us a definition of worry this morning? A simple definition of worry is this. Worry is the sin of distrusting the promises and the power of God. Worry is the sin of distrusting the promises and the power of God. Worry is essentially saying, God, I don't trust you. I don't believe in your goodness in this situation. I believe that you're kind of good out there but I don't believe that you're good in this situation of mine. I don't believe you care about what I care about because if you cared about what I care about, I'd have the results I want. And I'm going to worry about this because ultimately I don't trust you. I don't have faith in that area. And so instead of letting my flesh control my mind, which is what can so easily happen, what I want to do as a follower of Jesus is I want to choose to let my spirit direct my thinking. I want to choose to allow the spirit of God 
to direct my thoughts. So instead of letting my flesh run in my mind all sorts of fearful ways, I'm going to choose to let the Holy Spirit, come on somebody, which dwells within me to direct my thinking. I'm going to let the logical part of my brain choose that which is spiritual. I'm going to take my prefrontal cortex, Dr. Caroline Leaf, and I'm going to say, you think on what's true, you think on what's excellent, you think on what's praiseworthy, I'm putting my trust God completely in you. In fact, here's how the scripture puts it, Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. Again, this is the Apostle Paul. He says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds between the temples on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and it is peace. And that's why we're going to take every thought captive and we're going to make it obedient to Christ. From a scientific standpoint, we're going to let our prefrontal cortex grab the amygdala by the tail and it's going to say to that amygdala, you quit being irrational. We're choosing to be spiritual. We're giving this to God. And I know the body hadn't caught up yet. Listen, folks, I'm preaching better than you're letting on this morning. Even though the body hadn't caught up yet and even though the body's got all this adrenaline, I'm going to let the prefrontal cortex grab the amygdala and say, we are choosing to set our mind on the Spirit. And I'm not going to just do that one time. I'm going to do that time and time and time and time and time again. I'm going to trust in you, God, in this situation. I stop. I grab that thought. You might have to go in the next cubicle at work. You might have to dismiss yourself to the bathroom. You might have to get off in your car. You might have to walk off in the hallway and say, I take it captive. I make it obedient. I'm not going to let my sinful, fearful, dishonoring flesh run my mind, ruin my life in the wrong direction. I'm choosing to intentionally let the Holy Spirit direct my thoughts. You have to have that kind of warfare, that kind of tenacity, that kind of dogged determination to be a non-anxious presence in the 21st century America. In fact, I want to give you a visual example, perhaps an illustration you can use in your own life. So what tends to happen? All of us at some point, in some way, we have something that we're worried about. Everybody see the box? We have something that we're worried about. The good news is that we're not on our own because we serve a faithful and true God. We serve a faithful and true God. So what do we typically do if you're a follower of Jesus? Here's what you do. You're worried about something. You take your worry, right? We grab our worry, our, our anxiety, our fear, our burden, we give it to God. And we say, God, I pray about this. God, I surrender this to you. God, I give you this. I give it to you. Yes. And then what do you do? You wait. And you get freaked out because it's been five minutes. <laughs> and nothing's happened. Nothing's happened in six minutes. Nothing's happened in seven minutes. And so what do we do? God, I don't really trust you with that. And we take it back out of the box. Symbolically, when we worry, that's exactly what we do. We, we essentially take what we've given to God and we take it back. Can I just make a statement real quick? Worry is praying to yourself. Worry is praying to yourself. We're saying, God, I'm going to pray about this, but because I don't see what I want to see and because I'm still worried, we're essentially taking back the very thing that we give to God. And why do we do this? Look, church, the reason is because your God is too small and your worries are too big. And somebody, come on, somebody, needs a bigger God 
and a smaller box for worry. And what you're going to do at that point is you're going to take whatever it is that's weighing on you and whatever it is that's dominating you and dominating your thought. And the scripture says we do what? We cast it onto our God. He cares for us, so we cast our cares on God. And with prayer and petition, we take everything and we give it to God. What I would encourage you to do, perhaps even at your apartment or your house, is to go get your own God box. Get your own God box. Wherever you're at, wherever you live. And it doesn't have to be as cool as my little God box. It could be a shoe box, but it's symbolically representing God. What I want you to do is anytime you find your mind racing, I want you just to take it, God, take your sheet of paper, the thing that you're worried about, I want you to write down that piece of paper. It might be your teenager. I'm worried about my teenager right now. So you write down your teenager's name. It might be your future. It might be your marriage. It might be your health situation. It might be something you're facing in your job. It might be anything you love. And what you're going to do is you're going to write it down and you're going to cast your cares upon God for he cares for you. And you give it to God and then you trust him with it. And then what I want you to do is I want you to go on with your life, your day, trusting God. Now watch this. Are you ready? Here's the hard part. Anytime you want to choose to worry about it again, symbolically, you need to go over to your box and your God box and take out of the God box what you put in it and walk around with it the rest of the day and feel the weightiness of it. So you have to prove to yourself that you don't trust God. It'll, it'll, it'll be a game changer for you. It will be a game changer symbolically. God, I'm just going to go ahead and take this back because you've been too long. I don't like your answer or your lack of answer. So God, I'm going to carry it again. And you symbolically grab hold of that worry again, and you hold on to it more. You hold on to it more. Let me give you another illustration. Some of you have paper shredders. Take that issue, that God issue, that worry issue, I should say. You go over to the paper shredder. My own therapist at one season of life told me to do this. And you take that paper shredder. You have a moment with the Lord right there, very silent. You silence your heart, and then you take that worry And you watch that worry get shredded in the presence of God. Amen. You do. And then you have a moment with the Lord right there where you, you say, God, I surrender this worry to you. And if you want to find yourself picking it back up again, open your paper shredder, garbage can. Get your little tape out. Get your glue out, your strips. And you try to take on that worry by yourself again. Now, listen. If you ask me, what is it worries me? Well, I've got all kinds of different worries that burden my heart too, just like you do. One thing that worries me and weighs on me is just the spiritual responsibility of leading a church. And it's so easy in our culture today to accidentally or even unintentionally say something or do something on my social media or in the pulpit or some, just unintentionally to say something that totally, totally, totally creates all kinds of sorts of controversy. And I'm always aware as a pastor that I'm representing God and what I do matters. And a lot of times I can worry about that. I don't want to let God down. I certainly don't want to hurt the name of Jesus. And it's heavy on me. And I can feel that weight. I can feel that challenge. What do I need to do? Watch this. Instead of just giving my worries to God, what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually give my whole life to God. Amen. 
because I'm hidden in God, in Christ Jesus. I'm gonna place my life into God's hands. My whole life belongs to him. My whole everything belongs to him. He's good and he's faithful. And some of you are gonna say, well, Craig, that's just, that's naive. That's, that's totally irresponsible. You're just living in denial of your worries. You gotta be more responsible than that. No, here's my philosophy. Here's my philosophy. And you may adopt this into your own life. I think it's pretty easy to remember. Three big thoughts. They're on your message card, but they'll also be on the screen. First of all is this. I do what I can do. I do what I can do. Say it with me. Say, do what I can do. I'm going to do what I can do. If you're watching on streaming today, just type in the chat box. Do what I can do. What are you going to do? If you've got an exam coming up, you're not just going to trust God for your exam. You've got to do what you've got to do. You've got to study for the exam. You've got to take care of studying for that exam. If you want to get in better shape, you don't just pray about your health, do you? No, you've got to do what you've got to do. Prayer is not a substitute. Prayer never really works until you pray with your legs, all right? And so when you pray with your legs and you pray with doing something, I'm going to do what I can do. You're going to eat right. You're going to exercise. You're going to get good advice. You're going to do what you're going to do. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to give God what I can't do. Come on, say it with me. Say, give God what I can't do. So first, I'm going to do what I can do. Then I'm going to give God what I can't do. If I can't do something, I'm going to trust it to God. If I can't liberate myself from this situation, I'm going to trust it to God. I'm giving God what I can't do. So first, I'm going to do what I can do. And then I'm going to give God what I can't do. And finally, I'm going to trust God no matter what. Say that with me. Say, trust God no matter what. So I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to give to God what I can't do. And then I'm going to trust God no matter what. Why am I going to trust God? Because of his character. Why am I going to trust God? Because of his nature. Because of who he is. God, I'm going to do what I can do. God, I give you what I can't do. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to cast my cares upon you. And I'm going to give you what I can't do. And no matter what, God, no matter the outcome, because of your goodnesses, because of your promises, because of your faithfulness, I'm going to trust you no matter or what? And what I want you to do for a moment is I want you to imagine a heart of peace. I want you to imagine a life filled with unending joy. I want you to imagine a peace of mind trusting God. And I want to tell you, it's possible and it's also a choice. It's a choice dominated by flesh or dominated by the spirit. So let me ask you a question. If your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts, do you like the direction your thoughts are currently taking you? Do you like the destination you're going to arrive at? For me, for years, my thoughts were negative, self-defeating thoughts. You're pathetic. You're not good enough. You're not going to measure up. You don't have what it takes. I can't keep up. I'm always overwhelmed. Well, if you don't control what you think, You'll never control what you do. So what are we doing? We're identifying the stronghold. Everybody say stronghold. Whatever is the lie you've been believing, right? Whatever lie I've been believing, the dominant lie where the spiritual enemy has taken us out of the truth of God. And when we identify that lie, what do we do? We replace it with the truth. But not just a practical truth. We're talking about a spiritual truth. We're talking about the word of God. And then what do we do with that truth? Well, we do this. Are you ready? Four quick steps. We write it. 
We write it. We write it. We write it. After we write it in our journal, after we write it in our Bible, after we write it on a sheet of paper, then what else do we do? We think it. We write it. We think it. We write it. We think it. What else do we do? We confess it. We write it. We think it. We confess it. We write it. We think it. We confess it. What else do we do? We write it. We think it. We confess it until we believe it. Okay, if you're streaming live today, I need some help online on Facebook. I want you just to type in the chat. Write it. We th notice what the Bible says very clearly. We're going to have to think upon such things. We write it. Say it with me. Say we write it. We think it. What we confess it until we believe it. And there's no, there's nothing that tells me I can only do this one time a day. And there's nothing that tells me I got to do this only five times a day or maybe five times a week. We write it. We think it, we confess it until we believe it over and over again. So what do I declare over my life? Where does my mind need to be renewed? Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you today. In, in, let you in on my life. Jesus is first in my life. I exist to glorify God and to serve God. I am disciplined. Christ in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. I write it. I think it. I confess it. I believe it. I'm growing closer to Jesus every day. I'm going to write it. I'm going to think it. I'm going to confess it until I believe it. I'm going to write in my journal. Because of Christ, my family is closer. Because of Christ, my body is stronger. I'm not going to deal with these issues of my colon all my life. I'm just going to let you in on my reality right now. I'm not going to be a person at 35 that doubles the age and, and becomes a person that's going to have to deal with pain my entire life. I, I'm, I am, because of Christ, going to receive healing. I am creative. I am innovative. I am chosen by God. I am driven. I am focused. I am blessed beyond measure because the Holy Spirit of God... Some of y'all think I'm just giving you some mumbo-jumbo right now. I'm not giving you no mumbo-jumbo. I'm giving you what it means to renew your mind. The Holy Spirit of God dwells within me, so I have to declare what's true about me. You have to declare what's true about you. You write it, you think it, you confess it until you believe it. You write it, you think it, you confess it until you believe it. We're renewing our minds with truth. You say, Craig, what's true about me? What is true about you? If you don't want to know what's true about you, let me just declare it. You are not hostage to your unhealthy thoughts. You are not hostage to the trauma of your past. You are not hostage to anxiety and depression because of the rest of the world it gives in to anxiety and depression. You are not hostage to your unhealthy thought patterns because the weapons you fight with are not the weapons of this world. And the weapons you fight with are spiritual weapons that have divine power to demolish strongholds. And what do you do? By the authority and the power of Almighty God, you demolish every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God. Listen, worry is not your master. Why is worry not my master, Pastor Craig? Because you trust in God. His peace guards your heart. He guards your heart and he guards your mind in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are not a slave to your habits. You can tell that lie to go back to hell from where it came from. You do not have to allow your past to dictate your future. You do not have to bring in unhealthy wholesome relationships from your past into every present relationship of your future. You are not a prisoner to your addiction. You are an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Come on somebody. You've been rescued from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. You are a new creation in Christ and old things have passed away. Renew our minds, renew our minds, renew our minds. And we also know, we also know that you can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. You control the frame. You can look at life from a negative perspective and say, this is bad, this is hard, 
Or you can look at life from a godly perspective and say, God, you're good and you're faithful and you're true. And what's so powerful, church, listen to me. If you hadn't heard anything I said today, hear me. What's so powerful as followers of Jesus is this. We're not interpreting God through our circumstances. God, where are you? You're not good because life is bad. No, what we're doing as believers is we're interpreting our circumstances through the goodness of God. And then as followers of Jesus, we cover everything we do in prayer. We saturate it in prayer. We're not going to be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, we make our requests known to God and the peace of God, the peace of God, not the peace of this world. Jesus said, the peace I give to you, the world cannot take away. It's the peace of God that transcends all understanding, the shalom, the well-being, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your what? Your minds in Christ Jesus. So as followers of Jesus, watch this. We're going to allow God to empower us to win the war in our mind. And when we know the truth, the truth shall set us free. So Paul says, and I'm about to close. He says, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. Think with me for a minute, church. When is the last time you were not trying to fix anything and you were just rejoicing in the Lord? When's the last time you were not in problem-solving mode and you were just in rejoicing mode? And then he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Let your reasonableness, this is how I want you to be known, God says. I want you to be known for your reasonableness. Do you think the church in the West is known by the world around us for our reasonableness? Let your reasonableness what this means is that when things happen to you, they don't phase you like they do everyone else. Right. You don't fly off the handle when something goes wrong. Right. There's a sweet re- reasonableness because you're in this relationship. Y'all, it's about being in such in love with God. Do you remember? I remember when I fell in love with my wife about 18 years ago, just over 18 years ago. I fell in love with this girl, and I thought this girl's out of my league. She's two years older than me. I can't believe she's going out with me. This is unreal. Right? This is, this is unreal. It was just one of those times where I took a chance and I asked this girl out. And normally I didn't do that. I always asked her friends first, hey, does she like me? What's her interest in me? But I was a dork. She was gorgeous. She was Miss Red Bank. I was a dork at Saudi Daisy. I mean, she was most popular, Miss Congeniality herself. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, she's amazing. She's awesome. She sings. She would come to church and sing. She had this beautiful voice, and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go for it, and I did. I put her in my Toyota Camry one night going to Chili's Bar and Grill, (laughs) and I just went, and I couldn't believe we started going out, and it had been a couple weeks, and we're still going out, and I made a major mistake in sports, and I was a sports fanatic, and I made a major mistake on my sports team, and normally, you know, that would have devastated me, but because I was in love, it just didn't even matter anymore. I was like, I'm going out with Meredith. I was, whack, I was working at a church, right? And the church was split and fighting. Literally, it was horrible. But I was like, I don't care. I'm in love. And that's the idea here. The idea here is, is Paul says, listen, it's like I know what I have in heaven. God who made it all, who determines everything. Listen, he loves me. So listen, stuff happens and it's okay. I'm in love. I'm in love and the world should see this sweet reasonableness in us. Is that what you're known for? Because you're constantly rejoicing of what you have in heaven. You have a reasonableness about you. You're constantly reminding yourself of what God has given you. And then he says in verse 6, don't be anxious about anything. That's a command. 
Is there anyone who walked in this morning just not worried about anything? Just not anxious about a thing? Here's what I'd like for you to imagine. What if you actually pulled this off and you didn't worry about anything? Imagine if you did not worry about anything for the rest of your life. Think about this. Use your imagination. It's going to be tough. But imagine if for the rest of your life, you never worried about a thing. Can you imagine how much people would like you? Think of the ministry opportunities that would come your way. People would be flocking to you because of your reasonableness. And the thing we've got to understand is not only is this possible, it's commanded. It's commanded, church. God couldn't command this if it wasn't possible. Are you with me? That's right. He cannot command something if it's not possible. That's right. Do not be anxious about anything, he said. God says to you today, I would love it, dwelling place, if you just walk up out of this place today and just never worry again for the rest of your life because, you know, I got things taken care of. And yeah, it's going to go up and down and there's going to be a lot of things outside your control, but the Lord is near. And it's going to happen. Lift up your heads. Rejoice always. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, just pray about it. Just pray about it. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? Anxiety, church, as the band comes, is one of those problems that gives birth to all kinds of other problems. Anxiety is like the one fire that spreads through the whole house of your life. I know the band's coming, but just look at me just for a minute. Think about how many other sins are connected to the root sin of anxiety. Anxiety about money will cause you to hoard or steal. Anxiety about succeeding will make you irritable and impatient with people. Anxiety about relationships will make you withdrawn or indifferent towards people. Anxiety about what others think about you will make you lie or stretch the truth. If anxiety could be conquered, the most mortal blow would be struck to almost every other sin in your life. And isn't it strange how addictive anxiety can be? It's almost as we sense that if we devote more energy to anxiety, we are somehow doing something about the anxiety. We're doing something about the worry, right? But the reality is, you know that on its own, anxiety just offers false solutions, false promises, and false predictions. Can I just propose to you as we close today that anxiety is a modern-day false prophet? That's how I want you to see it as we get dismissed. It's a modern-day false prophet because it promises that if you devote time to it, it will change things. Yeah, for the worse. But that's a lie because worry doesn't change a thing other than your blood pressure. Jesus says in Matthew 6, can any of you add one moment to your life by worrying? We tend to worry, and we know that worry is not most useful. Modern science has made that all the clear. Doctors point out 75% of doctor visits in the ER are stress or anxiety related. Dr. Charles Mayo, he started the Mayo Clinic, said worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system. It takes decades off of people's life. Though I've never known a man who died of overwork, I've known people my whole life who died of worry. I saw a bumper sticker one time on a person's car. It said, anxiety is my daily cardio. And I'm like, yeah, it's not a good one though. And anxiety is a false prophet because the vast majority of things you worry about never take place. 
It's paying interest on a debt that you don't even owe. How do you break free from anxiety cycle? The way out of this frustrating cycle is not to try to convince ourselves that life has no problems. It's to remember that God has promised to deal. Look at me, look at me. God has promised to only deal with actual problems, not potential problems. Watch me. God has promised to walk with you through the darkest valleys and greatest tragedies, but he will not, indeed cannot, walk with us through dark valleys that will not happen. That's anxiety. They're lies. And this is what Jesus tells us when he says to us, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough worry of its own. Problems, church, are not the only things waiting for you tomorrow. God is too. And the God who gives you strength today will give you strength tomorrow. Anxiety is a false prophet. In the Old Testament, they stoned false prophets. You need to stone anxiety every time it shows up in your life and turn instead to the one true prophet who never lies, who never fails, and always keeps his promises. Tomorrow has troubles, but tomorrow has a death-defeating Savior who is fighting for his own children. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. 